0: Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies and channels actually work, which ones you should copy and what mistakes you should avoid. And now with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Brian Morrissey. Brian is one of my favorite commentators in the media space. As president and editor-in-chief of Digiday, He was the driving force behind their growth into a global media brand. Since leaving Digiday about two years ago, Brian has started a completely new brand called The Rebooting where he publishes in-depth newsletter articles and podcast episodes on the mechanics of building sustainable media businesses. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. You're one of the few people that I talk to has a very strong sort of journalistic, sort of like more traditional media background. When it talk when it comes to newsletters, a lot of people are in the sort of the creator first space, whereas you've yeah. been, you know, doing this for a long time. <laughs> you know. I defected. I defected. Exactly, exactly. Well, how, how has it been? What is what has it been like doing doing the rebooting?
1: I mean, it's been great. I mean, I, it's, it's it's it was a little unusual because, like you said, like you know, I've been in journalism for for two decades, and and I started as a reporter, but for the last decade, I was I was an editor, but also like an executive at a company. So like, you know how that is, like you you spend a lot of time in meetings and it was funny as a reporter, I used to like, you know, mentally go go around the room during like our news meetings. And I would like classify people crudely as to whether they wrote articles or wrote emails mostly. <laughs> and I, But yeah, of course I was making a value judgment on the people because we had too many people who were writing emails and not enough people who were writing articles. And as someone who was writing articles, I thought that like, people who wrote articles were by far the most valuable people. And then I started, then I became one of those people who wrote emails. And I was like, you know, the people who write emails are really important in an organization. (laughs) Now I do both. Well, I don't write write it. Uh, I literally write articles that are emails. So it's full circle. But no, it's been, it's been great. I think one of the the fun parts of it has been, you know, I did a lot of parts of media, but I never did ad sales because just because of obvious conflict issues and stuff like this. So you know, learning that side has been has been pretty fascinating. I know. I think I sent you a note on, on something the, the other the other week about it because you you had I forget her name on, but she had some really good points about about the sales process. So I think that's been that's been good. And I, I've liked the independence. I mean, I'm doing this I'm doing this from Porto in Portugal. I probably could have done that back at Digiday, but it's harder when you have a team.
0: Yeah. How how do you find sort of keeping yourself on, on deadlines and keeping yourself to a, to a cadence? Do you sort of self-impose anything
1: there? Yeah, that's why I'm in Europe right now, because like, you know, I still publish on like US hours. And what I realized that as a journalist, like every single journalist is a total procrastinator and does everything at the last minute. But that if I'm in Europe, that gives me like a five hours so I can actually put off things to like even the day of, whereas like, Back at home, like, there's no way I could get up at like five o'clock in the morning and be able to bang something out. So that's a major advantage, you know, plays into my strengths as a procrastinator. No, I mean, I, I, I'm used to, you know, I think going back to writing is, is you got to you gotta dust it off and stuff like this. But if you've done anything long enough, it, it probably comes back to you. So I, I don't find the cadence like necessarily difficult. I only do like two newsletters a week. I just keep like a notes app with, you know, as... as ideas come to me, I put them in there because I'm at the age where you just like, if you don't write it down, you like immediately forget it like 10 minutes later. So (laughs) that's, that's, that's how I operate.
0: Very good. Very good. And do you keep the sort of, do you impose a cadence on yourself? Do you say like it has to be? Two a week, I'm going to stick to this. Yeah, 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 Um, Tuesdays, Tuesdays
1: and Thursdays. I'd done, like, Mondays and Wednesdays, but I I shifted it. No, I I try to keep, I think consistency is incredibly important just as, you you could be a procrastinator and, like, leave stuff to the, my brother had said, had had once told me, like, I remember I met up with him, I was on the way to give some presentation that I, of course, had not, like, Had not done yet, and I was like kind of like stressed out about it. He's like, Oh no, I don't believe in ASAP, I I believe in as late as possible because if you leave it like long enough, a lot of times something will happen, you'll never even have to do it. So, like, you know, it's good insurance for that. At least that's the rationalization I've used. But I think consistency is incredibly important. If you say you're going to do something, do it. I mean, I remember. There's probably traumatized former colleagues of mine because, like, I was like kind of like maniacal about like stuff when we had offices. It's crazy in in retrospect about like showing up on time and stuff like this because I did believe that consistency is incredibly important in all aspect. We're always gonna fall short and stuff like this. Things happen, and and I think the nature of this media, people are more forgiving because it's a little bit more personal. Like I just saw Ben Thompson sent like in, his 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 newsletter out I don't know what time it normally goes out but he like apologized for it being out late I'm like I have no idea when, what time it goes out like why would I set my watch to when Ben Thompson's n- newsletter is coming out but he was like oh there was like I guess he's he's in the Midwest back home from Taiwan and uh, he was like oh there was a thunderstorm and stuff like this and knocked out power and I'm like I kind of like that because it's like it's it's like it's very personal you don't do that shit like if you're working for like the new york times or something like that people don't want to hear it they're like i don't care the new york times get a generator but i do think consistency is important i think imposing it is on yourself is is critical you know like like i run a lot and like you know people are like oh how do you run so well you just do it every day it becomes like brushing your teeth you don't you don't well you don't do it every day but like you know when it when things become routine they just happen
0: yeah it's interesting it's because it is a debate, I think, if you look at journalism, you know, news is just happening. There are always kind of stories to be uncovered. Whereas when it comes to the more creative newsletters, I think a lot of it is there's been more of a resurgence of, of opinion. Right. So it's 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 takes rather than the news necessarily, or at least a lot of the, the newsletters that, that that I see. I've seen the yeah. argument in both directions of you should keep a consistent, regular schedule for sending out emails whether that's every day, every week, twice a week, or you should only email people where you have something really interesting to say.
1: Yeah, no, that's, I think there's there's a good argument on that. I mean, cause like a lot of, cause a lot of the cadence, like, you know, with, with newsletters that are news oriented briefings, like if you think of that as like a, a newsletter type, you wanna win the morning. That's why they all come out in the morning, right? And that's like a brand thing, right? Like you want to be, at least in the B2B world, if you're doing like news, like you want to be the thing that is, you know, people's lifeline, that is their habit that they read in the morning. The problem is it's like, it's too much everyone like goes to the morning and then you're like, oh, geez, maybe I'll move to a different time of the day. I don't know. I'm not like, I just think that like, I understand like the risks that like, you're not going to like, quote unquote, have something to say, but Maybe it's me, but, like, I need, like, to be forced into discipline. I would be too worried about, like, about giving giving myself, like, an easy way out. And be like, oh, I don't have anything to say. Because, like, you know, any, like, writer or journalist or quote-unquote content creator or stuff like this, at least most of them, the non-psychopaths, like, you know, they have doubt and stuff like this. And, and it would just be, like, an easy—it would be easy to be like, oh, well, I don't have anything good enough this week. Because the old journalists like saying it's like you know what you know on deadline like i don't know how many times i'd argue with like reporters that we're publishing this story but why does it have to it's like it has to go out at some point and we'll always we can always find a reason not to publish it, it doesn't mean like you don't fact check it or something like this but like there's a, there's a resi- a reticence sometimes i think that's inherent to this this field about you know I was going to say pulling the trigger, but we should probably come up with a different expression than that of, of like shooting your shot. Like, you know, so I think it can help with that, but I understand both sides. But like, wh- why do we have deadlines for anything? I mean, like in software, like, why do you have that? De- like, why, like, why, why, why not just like when it's ready?
0: It's a good point. That's, I mean, we argue about that all the time. It's like, it has to meet a certain level of polish to be able to be yeah. produced, but yeah. Sure. Yeah.
1: But I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, that was, so we, at Digiday, I had this like standing huddle. I had all these things that in retrospect seemed super weird. And like, we'd go around the huddle, but literally people would like, you know, say what they were working on that day and what they would file and by when. And it was like, to me, it was like, you're making like a public de- declaration to the tribe. You're making a promise. Not a promise to me, because it's not about me as the editor, like who's like saying where is this. You're making a promise to your like, to your colleagues and like to this group, because we got to recreate a product every single day. And if if you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, well then someone else is going to have to step in, or the product's going to be shit. And you've unfortunately you've let yourself down, but you've also let a bunch of other people down. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean there's the there's the habit forming aspect as well right which is I think if you look at like a morning brew for example I think part of the reason that they I think it's so powerful is they have that 5 minutes of your attention in the inbox every morning that you know yeah. 30 years ago a newspaper would have had
1: but I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Like, I don't think it's like... I think maybe the form... Like, there's a lot of different formats of, of of newsletters, and I think the briefing is one. And that's where, you know, you're basically giving a digest of what you need to know in some certain area, you know? We all know them, and they're like, you know... I think Morning Brew is... I don't think they originated the concept, but like you know, they've they popularized it to some degree. But then there's the other. I mean, you called it like hot takes or opinion. I would say like at its best, it's like more like deep dive analysis kind of stuff. It's not like who, what, where, why. It's how. It's more why and how. And I think that you can argue has like deserves a different cadence. Yeah, sounds reasonable. It, it sounds <laughs> sounds legit to me. It's it's something that's interesting to me because you have. You know, if
0: if you look at the rebooting, it is branded, but everybody who reads it knows that it comes from you. They know your background. They know who you are. That's why they read it, not because of the the brand. It comes out on a cadence. It has a very, very niche sort of focused audience. And it seems to me that that is a direction that a lot of larger media brands seem to be moving in as well. Do you think they're copying Melos? I think it's you personally. I think it's (laughs) you and just you.
1: Fuck. It's funny because I, I do think that we're in this this, this period. I would like call it like an unbundling of sorts, and I think usually in media it's like two ways to make money: unbundling and rebundling. But I do think that there was a certain unbundling of a lot of like um, you know high value, talented people out of you know what what would be in traditional media organizations who are able to like go out on their own. Do I think it's an oversold trend? Yes, of course it is. Do I think that there's some giant middle class that's going to de- develop on Substack? No, of course I don't. It's like anything. There, you know, it, the markets, you know, end up having like you know, big fat head and then a, quite a long tail and a small torso. But I do think that that where it's going to get really interesting is in the sort of smart rebundling and how you can have all the advantages of. A, a quote unquote institutional brand, corporate brand, whatever you want to call it, but really make it like human powered and putting, putting the humans like front and center in a way that really wasn't done at most media organizations. And I think you're seeing these kind of models emerge and everyone will be at different parts of the continuum. And I don't think that there's one way to do anything much less publishing. Like you're gonna have complete monolithic brands and then you're gonna have individual creators and stuff like this but like anything there's gonna be like a big middle and i think that's gonna be interesting because to me the big like sort of tell is like is the human aspect and like people trust humans more and i think during this time of the pandemic like i just found out you were in like lisbon and i because i I, i'm terrible with my email and i was like oh shit we could have like met up in person in lisbon because that would have been good because like we've we've talked a lot like on 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 twitter email, but like we've never met in person. And like, I do think that human connectivity is important. And I think the difference in this type of media, and I put like newsletters in here and like podcasts, I think can be in there and, and a few other types, like events, I think in some ways, is that they're very human, right? I know I've, I've created content in, in, in just about every format possible, right? And the, the, the depth of interaction is appreciably different here. I put a note at the so end much. of my my newsletter today that I was coming to Porto and I got like a bunch of like suggestions from people who are reading about like sustainable media business models telling me uh, of, you know, places that there's, I forget the name of it, the friend Chino or something. There's some like mammoth sandwich that's like 9,000 calories that I'm going to need to like organize my affairs before I get this, this famous sandwich here in Porto, but I wouldn't have known it if it wasn't for people telling me that. No one ever told me which sandwiches to get it previously. But if you were to walk into
0: an event where you'd invited people who listen to the rebooting podcast and who read the newsletter, and you hadn't met them before and they were to introduce themselves, I bet that you would have a reasonably good idea which ones just read the newsletter and which ones listen to the podcast based on how sort of familiar they are with you when they, when they meet you because I have that experience all the time is someone will come up to me and
1: they'll be chatting to me like I'm an old friend and I'll be like, yeah, well that's the human voice. That's the human voice. And I I sort of saw that it's like sort of one of the things like, you know, maybe in retrospect, I'll make it sound like it was, it was some sort of big revelation, but I can remember at at Digiday, I had hosted the podcast for, I don't know, four or five years or something like this. And, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do like a lot of writing and stuff like this I was i was doing a lot of other things but when i w- would go to like our own events but even like other events and i could be like places in germany or japan or something like this people would come up and be like oh my god like i listen to your podcast when i'm walking my dog and stuff like this and it's a different type of connection because of of the voice and i think like email has a similar dynamic because you're you're used to getting emails from friends and stuff like this, and like to me, like one of the biggest sort of mistakes I think in like email, but again, there's a lot of different ways to do things, is like people make them too distant, and they and they make them as if like they're they're writing for websites, and I've written for websites a lot, and it's a different genre. Like I remember like being super frustrated. We started this magazine, and you know I. Our team was like very good at writing like you know web stories, but they were they in my mind they weren't good at writing magazine articles, and they're are different forms. And like we were hurt too generationally. People stopped reading magazines, and so like if you don't read, I always say it was like if you don't read a mag, magazines, you, you got no shot at being good at writing for magazines. I mean, what are the chances? You need to sort of lean into the more human elements and find that line before you become self indulgent and like cringy and weird.
0: I, 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 I'm trying to avoid going off on a tangent on magazines because I, I would love to sort of hear, like, do you think magazines are going to come back? Or
1: what's I think they there? are coming back. Yeah. And, I think, and I think they can come back within formats like email and stuff. Because when I think about, like, what magazines and what magazines are really good at is that they have a point of view and a lens on the world that a group of people say yes that's how I see the world too. And I think there's a very similar and they're extremely curated and they're finishable and they're scarce and I could go on and on and on. And I think that there are a lot of similarities to the best of like the newsletter world, right? It's scarce. I think what, what people value in a lot of, of newsletters and it's hard to generalize cause there's so many different types of everything. But I think like a lot of the value that I see is, is, not, is less transactional and it's more like, yes, this this person, and that's why I think it's important that it's a human, you know, sees this part of the world the way I see it. And I think that's the stuff that resonates with people the most. And it, it's just a very different and less transactional relationship that a lot of other forms of media have. It's by necessity going to be a lot, to me, like smaller. Like you can't get everything in life. Like, you know, like I come to like Porto, this place is like, You know it's amazing it's medieval and stuff like this am i going to get like the absolute like world-class like plumbing and infrastructure no did i haul my like bag up four flights of stairs yes
0: (laughs) one of the questions i get asked all the time by especially larger publishers so really sort of the more traditional household names with you know newspapers and big publications they'll sort of reach out and they'll be interested in especially the referral stuff and they'll say look hey is this something that we should be doing? How would I know if this is, you know, obviously you can't tell in advance if it's gonna work, but yeah. what's sort of an indicator, what's a pattern that it will or it won't. And there are really two things we've seen that make a difference there. And one of them is the human approach. So does the reader know the author of the newsletter? Do they know who they're getting the email from? Could they picture maybe their face, definitely their name and maybe their voice? It makes a big difference to whether people will, will share for some reason. And yeah. then the other thing, which again, traditionally, I think publishers haven't been great at, but it seems like they're getting a lot better at. And it's something that, you know, the, the creators among us are a lot better at is putting the, the content itself into the email. So you'd see, you know, traditionally those like summaries where the email was basically just a delivery mechanism, right? It was just, here are five links to stuff that we've written on the site. RSS feed. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. And it seems like that's changing. I don't know if you've, you've got thoughts on that. but I I've mean, I can't one. believe people
1: yeah. still do that stuff. Like I still get them like ad age, if you're listening, change your email. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. And like, I'm like, you've, you've managed to jam five of the exact same display ads. I'm sorry. If I was Amazon ads, I'd be like, why are you repeating the exact same ad five times? Like I'm not paying for this, but whatever, I'm not Amazon ads. I think it's like pretty accepted now that like, if you're going to take email seriously, you got to treat it as a product and like, you got to give a shit and like treating it as like as an RSS feed tells me you got no hope, like, you know, and those are the people who, who like shove programmatic display in and like, you have to make it more human on every single level. And that includes the monetization. I think too many times when like making products, either the monetization comes last or the monetization is in direct opposition to the entire purpose of the product. And and that like to me, like you always see how dysfunctional like organizations are based on the products they ship, you know? Cause that's like, that's like the moment of truth. And you start to see like, like, whether or not, like, different groups are fighting with each other. But, yeah, I think, you know, so many, so many times when, like, you know, big organizations are making these kind of products, there's different constituencies, and then someone will dig into the data and be like, but we get 6% of our traffic from email. And I'm just like, well, we need to be able to drive people back to the site because, like, you know, our programmatic revenues are... And then, like, next thing you know, guess what? Not, not one of those discussions ever involved what the person who's getting the email, what's best for them. Nobody's talking about that. So maybe start from like the human approach of what's, what's good for the freaking humans that are getting this email and work backwards from that. And that includes the monetization. That's why I think it's like pretty obvious that like email newsletters, like it, the monetization works far better when it's, it's, it's like a personal ad written by a human than like trying to slice and dice first, second, third, zero party data and and put some some display out in front of people
0: it's so much you can learn there from podcasters as well like host right ads
1: yeah they perform way better reason gee wonder why wonder why (laughs) and that's why i think i mean i wrote a little bit about this but i think like an interesting monetization model and like yeah nothing in the scales is it's more towards like endorsement than like advertisement like i think sponsorship is along that that line you know like i i used to like be like you know, very dogmatic about like, you know, hating the euphemisms, like together, together with, I was <laughs> like, oh God. I like sort of compromised on like presented by because it at least had an underwriting and I actually like supported by because I think that there is, is, is something there because like when you have like a newsletter that ideally you have like a community that wants it to exist and stuff like this, a- aligning with that like person That human who is making it and and has that value, I think that has tremendous leverage for the supporting company, the partner, the advertiser, whatever you want to call them, that doesn't show up on some spreadsheet of clicks and leads and stuff like this. Ideally, you know, you have to perform at the end of the day. But I do think that there is, and we've sort of lost this with advertising, with thinking that like, it's just this like, coin machine where you just like you feed coins into like Facebook and Instagram and then you get like you know results out out the back end like this has always been direct marketing that somehow got rebranded into performance marketing and as seemed sexier it's like no the direct mail people have been doing this forever that's why we called it like junk mail and I just think that like there's opportunities to have better, better ways of, of of integrating companies. I see, like you know, what what Paki McCormick is doing with those, you know, sponsored deep dives. Like, I I ripped off a version of that to like monetize the podcast, and I, I just think that there's more of these kind of very human, very handcrafted sort of things that that can be done with sponsoring companies that aren't like ads.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's if a company would be a good fit for that audience anyway then there must be some sort of shared angle or content that could be created sort of together in partnership that the audience would find interesting there must be there must be some good way of doing it otherwise it probably isn't going to be a good product for the, for that audience in the first place
1: i d- i just see i i see a different level of like relationship, I think, too. Like, I mean, I I think it's been, like, nice to see because this is a more human, like, it's smaller and stuff like this. But, like, you know, like, I I saw, like, one of, like, my part, like, Ocean. Like, you know, someone was, like, awesome to see Ocean sponsoring the rebooting at Bill Wise, the CEO. And I'm like, this is really cool. Like the CEO of this like fairly large company is getting kudos for like a newsletter sponsorship. You don't, you don't see that. Like great to see your banner ad campaign. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but I do think that, you know, done well. And if the alignment is right and you actually do believe that this company has like a good product or service, it's not, it's not right for everyone. Everyone has to like figure out their own you know, goals and strategies and stack. But like, I think that's great. I mean, it's it's interesting because
0: you do advertising, but you don't, you're on Substack, you don't have a paid subscription.
1: I know, counterintuitive, right?
0: It's interesting, <laughs> why? why? Why no, why no paid?
1: I don't know, I mean, I haven't like, I, I feel like I haven't figured out the product yet. And I know from before having like, you know, the memberships program fell under me at Digiday. So like, you know, we, we, we came up with a concept for it and, you know, the pricing and like, you know, we were running our own little mini e-commerce business within the company, you know, ad sales was and sponsorship sales and event sales w- was separate, but like we owned that like within editorial. And that was, that was mostly because like to, to my mind, the dynamics are very different than like an event sponsorship and like, you know, it made more sense to have it integrated as as a product. I'm not against it, but I had would also seen the dynamics of it. I think that it, like recurring revenue is, is very powerful, but I also saw f- the experience of having started with Digiday after we had, you know, I don't know, a few hundred thousand people on the email list and then like one of our newer brands like Glossy when they had like 10,000 on the email list and like you can't escape a funnel. I don't care if there's humans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you still got a funnel and you need like a top of the funnel to have much of a bottom of the funnel. So I wasn't really in a rush to do it. Cause I, I figured like, as far as, you know, leverage goes, like I, I still do consulting and stuff like this. And I've take a, taken a hit on income just to be totally candid from, from before, but I think that's okay. You gotta, you gotta do that sometimes to, to grow. I think down the road, I would like to do one, but I'd like to do it beyond just being like, it being transactional and it being like oh well there's there's two issues of the newsletter and for this one you need to be paid or like i'm going to gate this i decided to ungate this and it's just like i i don't know right now i don't i don't want to go that route but never say never okay
0: is is it all up in the air then is it like are you sort of doing things as it, as it feels right or is there sort of a plan like if i asked you what does the rebooting look like in two years or three years' time? Is there an answer? Is there a plan, or is this no, a,
1: oh, we'll see? I, I my my goal is to to use my time in Porto. I'm here till Sunday to come up with with that plan, with the, the understanding that like no three- and five-year plan has ever been followed. Like, even Stalin couldn't, like, pull off a three-year plan. So, like, I think it takes a little bit of humility and that, like, anyone... You know, the old saying, it's like, it's not the plan, it's the planning. And I get that. I mean, I've made a lot of plans before. But, you know, a lot of this stuff is a little bit, at least for me, a little bit seat of the pants. Um, I know... I know where I sort of want to go with this. Like, I don't want this to be a solo business forever. I want to build it into, I mean, that's why I called it the rebooting, not like, you know, brianmarcy.substack.com. I want to grow it into like a new brand. And I just want to have, you know, humans at the like center of it, you know? And I think that there's a way to, to make smaller, more meaningful media. But it's a matter of like getting there. I'm not like, I'm not obsessed with the timing of that. If that takes like, that takes a couple of years. It takes a couple years. I don't know. I'm not. What's in
0: a rush. the What's the first role do you do you think you'll you'll hire for? And what's the What's the last? Do you think the writing is something that will be handed off to
1: other people? Or well, yeah, I want to retire again. No, that's a that's that's really a great question because I think one of the things when you're doing things solo. You need to understand, like, what your leverage is and and, and what is, is doesn't make any sense for you to be doing, right? Like, I, I can even remember at Digiday, like, I was setting, like, the weekend tweets, like, three years into it. And it was just, <laughs> like, it was crazy because, like, you know, I think in my mind it was, like, you know, I was like, oh, I got to, like, show, I'll do whatever and stuff like this. But then it was, like, this is just a bad use of time. And you. Get, I think one of the things of going solo is it's sort of the opposite the opposite of like an elimination diet, it's like you eat everything. And then you start to decide the foods that like, <laughs> you sh- probably shouldn't be eating those, like that sandwich that I'm gonna have later, we'll probably go <laughs> on that list. But like, that to me is like what, I- I've started to realize like what like, I have the most leverage doing. At this point, the the most leverage I have I have, a lot of it revolves around like, making the product myself because i've made stuff like myself like written articles and stuff like this but i've also led teams that 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 did that did a lot of it they're different they're different products right you you have more control over writing the stories yourself than trying to get someone else because people are different you know humans are different and it's a different product than than the one you imagine like i would always i was like a nightmare of an editor because at heart I'm a, a, a writer so I think like when you're that way and I've had editors like this and no matter how good they are and how they try to like they always read something and they're like oh I would have done this differently it's like the plumber when the plumber comes in I don't know if that happens in Europe but like I just had a plumber in in New York and they always come in it's like oh who did this I'm like oh god this is gonna be very expensive I think there's a good argument to like, bring in someone on the business side, but like, I don't really agree necessarily with that, that sort of dichotomy that's often presented out there of like creator, operator, like I don't even know what the word operator is to be honest with you. Because like, and maybe this is my own like hang up, so take it or leave it, is like it kind of puts like the content people in their little content box. And I've seen that a lot. And personally, I'm like, why? Like I ran a membership program, like I, tech and product team were under me like i look at my leverage of 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 not being quote unquote just content like if you're really great at content in my mind when that's your product you're the most valuable person in the organization and that's great and so i think there's a lot of advantages of going narrow and deep for me right now just in my like life like i don't want to why would I want like to bring in someone and be like, oh, I can't do anything like on like the business side? I'm like, I don't agree with that. I'm getting better at sales. I think I can be good at it. Do you, do
0: you enjoy it? I I do. Yeah. Oh well, that's different then.
1: Yeah. Well. I don't enjoy the, pro. nobody enjoys prospecting and stuff like this, but like, you know, I didn't enjoy like having to reach out to like, you know, a bunch of people and, and try to get, find out information and like, you know, nine times out of 10, it leads nowhere. And it, to me, a lot of the skills are the same that I can tell is. You got to listen a lot. There's a lot of salespeople out there that talk a lot. So a good way to differentiate is listen, and listen not just to what you know the surface level of what people are saying, but what like trying to find out what they're really saying because like. You know, a lot of times people don't understand the problem they're necessarily trying to solve and or they're not articulating it correctly. And you have to be able to pinpoint what that exactly is and be able to match it up to like how you can help. And so I always think, you know, it's, it's kind of similar in reporting. Like when you're listening to people, you're thinking about your story and you're thinking about the story. and You're thinking about all the other people you talk to and how that fits in. And to me, that's sort of two track mind. It's like I'm not bilingual. It's how I imagine being bilingual would be is like is really valuable so there's crossover.
0: I guess if you if you don't mind doing both parts then <laughs> it becomes yeah. a lot easier if you if you enjoy them.
1: I want to do like a daily news product and I also want to like tackle like other like high value areas. Like I'm doing it's just like in publishing but I want to do, I want to I want I want to be able to like tackle like streaming and like overall product. I think there is a good field. And yeah, you just you just pick off different like areas in which there's a lot of stuff happening. There's a clearly defined buy and a sell side. I know that that's incredibly important. Like if you can sit between a buy and a sell side, you can create marketplace dynamics. And that means the do subs, don't do subs thing is kind of irrelevant because there's always, always value there. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Do you have any sort of thoughts <laughs>
0: and predictions on, on what the newsletter landscape is gonna look like in a couple of years? How do you think I
1: mean, I, if it'll, if it'll exist in a couple of years, I don't know.
0: You don't think so? You think we'll all be in the, whatever <laughs> it is, Web 7.0 in the AR, like
1: no. those glasses? I mean, and... I'm actually writing something that like, it's funny. I actually went analog. I like, I, I was like going in like Lisbon to like, it was off that pink street, but it was like, a, it was a normal place. There's a nice little square there. And I like, walked by, and I was like, oh, I'm going to come down here and, and like do my newsletter. But no, I was like, I don't want to be some goon with a with a laptop out at like one of these places so and so you like with the typewriter and we down there with no the... <laughs> i i i had like a notebook and i l- wrote oh. because it was a little bit of like old school because whenever i would like travel in europe when i was like a college kid in the 90s we wrote letters we had like par avion envelopes those super like you know like there was no phone calls cost like five dollars a minute or something like this and so you were cut off from the world back home so I was always writing my original writing was writing like sort of longhand. so anyway I decided to do that just because I didn't want to carry a laptop and be a goon once you know it I freaking left the thing then at some like restaurant (laughs) and it didn't open before I left so I, I had to like rewrite it again but I think a lot of like what I'm what I'm like sort of writing about is I think that there's this like sort of human form of media it's like humanistic media that is like a complete reaction against all this like mechanized programmatic media that's all about efficiency and all about like very thin interactions with people so like all the pushing into the metaverse I think is like amazing and it's all great because like there will be a reaction to that and people will want a different form of media that's that's just simply more human as like what it means to be human becomes more like abstracted i think people are going to want more human experiences that's why like to me like the three the triangle is like newsletters podcasts and events cuz they're all human well Brian, thank you so much for taking the time cool. it's been super interesting and we'll have to have you
0: back on yeah, hopefully in a in a couple of months when you've recovered from this anytime
1: we could do it next week we'll do it next week perfect let's do it Awesome. <laughs> okay. we'll, good stuff thanks thank you so much thanks
0: for listening to this episode of the send and grow podcast if you liked what you heard here are three quick ways that you can show your support number one leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice number two email or dm me with some feedback with your questions or with suggestions for future episodes and finally number three Share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.